Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, August 11th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 34 to 64. The Lord concludes his declaration of the complete destruction that's coming upon Babylon, and he provides for his word to be preached and shown forth there in the land of Babylon. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Great to be with you again today. So we're talking Jeremiah 51, the last part of this long oracle against Babylon. As we get started into this part of the text today, what should we know about the context, where we are in the book of Jeremiah, anything that'll help us with the verses we've got today? Well, the first context that I'd like to suggest to our hearers is that within the church here, we have been, for many of us, we've been hearing a series of readings from the Gospel of John about the bread of life. And, and those who long for, uh, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, long to be fed and filled with the one who is the bread of life. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, we heard this past Sunday. There's some of our hearers are no doubt also hearing scriptures from, from the uh, one-year series of lectionary, the one-year lectionary series, and just a little while ago, they heard from Luke 19 about Jesus weeping over and for Jerusalem. I think that gives us a broader context within the church here, within the life of the church, for why we would even read through this long book called Jeremiah and finish it tomorrow and, and have a chance to consider what is God doing and saying. This is it. This is the end of Jeremiah's prophetic work. We're going to hear that in verse 64. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. It has been verbal proclamation. It has been a written pronouncement with Baruch described writing on a scroll. It has been enacted prophecy at times throughout this book. And the question that we might wonder is, has Jeremiah's ministry been futile? Has his message been heeded? And many, many times throughout the letter, it hasn't been. There have been those who have rejected what he said and rejected him. It brings to my mind the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, when he speaks of being stewards of the mysteries and says, it is required of stewards that they be faithful. Jeremiah has been faithful. Faithful in his foretelling of deserved judgment. Faithful in his foretelling of undeserved mercy. You heard that. You discussed that. You pondered that, especially in that rich book of comfort some chapters ago, chapters 30 to 33. But I'm going to take us for context once more all the way back to chapter 1, where we read this from the mouth and the pen of this newly commissioned prophet. This is chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, 
I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And verse 11, and the word of the Lord came to me. It's echoed 42 times, if I counted correctly. I went through this on, 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 a Monday, on Monday evening and just tried to highlight and underline all of them. The word of the Lord came to me. It is that word that Jeremiah has delivered, and this is the final section of that. And so again, we're, we're talking here about Babylon. This is judgment against Babylon that's being preached by Jeremiah. It's what we've been hearing for since the beginning of chapter 50. So, and we've got a good chunk of text today, so let's jump right in. We're beginning in Jeremiah 51, verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has rinsed me out. The violence done to me and to my kinsmen be upon Babylon, let the inhabitant of Zion say. My blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, let Jerusalem say. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her fountain dry, and Babylon shall become a heap of ruins, the haunt of jackals, a horror and a hissing without inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lions' cubs. While they are inflamed, I will prepare them a feast and make them drunk that they may become merry, then sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the Lord. I will bring them down like lambs to the slaughter, like rams and male goats. How Babylon is taken, the praise of the whole earth seized. How Babylon has become a horror among the nations. The sea has come up on Babylon. She is covered with its tumultuous waves. Her cities have become a horror, a land of drought and a desert, a land in which no one dwells and through which no son of man passes. And I will punish Bel in Babylon and take out of his mouth what he has swallowed. The nations shall no longer flow to him. The wall of Babylon has fallen. Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let every one save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. Let not your heart faint, and be not fearful at the report heard in the land. When a report comes in one year, and afterward a report in another year, and violence is in the land, and ruler is against ruler. Therefore, behold, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame, and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. I'll pause there. That was through verse 49 of the text today. Again, this oracle against Babylon. Pastor Bars, our text begins in verse 34. It sounds like we've got a, a change in speaker suddenly. There's no punctuation notes in the Hebrew, so sometimes it's kind of hard to tell. But the way verse 34 and into verse 35, it sounds like someone new is speaking there. What's, what's happening in those first couple of verses? Well, thank you. It, it is the first person now, isn't it? The king of Babylon has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me. He has swallowed me. He has filled his stomach with my delicacy. He has rinsed me out. Violence done to me and to my kinsmen. There, there's two things going on here. The voice is now given to the people of Zion or the people of Jerusalem. That's particularly in verse 35. We hear that. We see that. 
So they are they are speaking out. They are given a voice. But but it seems to me that what is what is behind this is that God is taking this personally, and and ultimately it it leads to the one who is Israel personified, who has been assaulted and and crushed and and taken upon himself all of all of our sin. He's crying out to Babylon. Babylon, yes, it's a real city. It's the Neo-Babylonian Empire. It's it's all kinds of things politically, but it is a sign, and we particularly see this in the in the whole spectrum of scripture. When we come to the book of Revelation, we see that Babylon is is the evil and, and all that is against Christ. Christ and his church. Some of the language here, it's, it's all kinds of metaphors, isn't it? It's crushed me, made me like a worthless, empty vessel, swallowed me like a monster or a sea monster. Sometimes that's translated dragon or even serpent. It, it's the same word. Uh, it's a Hebrew word, tanin. It's the same word that is in Exodus chapter 7, when Aaron throws down his staff and it turns into a serpent. Granted, the sorcerers of Egypt do the same thing by black magic. It's also in Psalm 91, where God's people are said that they will be able to trample underfoot the young lion and the serpent, this same word for monster. And, and then there's this, this language of, I don't, I don't know how to be delicate about the delicacies and uh, filling his stomach, but then vomiting them out. Babylon cannot hold on to the, the holy people of God, no matter what it looks like to the people in exile, no matter the violence that is threatening them and has threatened them and people being taken to Babylon and to Egypt, yet, yet they, will not have ultimate, they will not have ultimate power. This is, this is so true that this, this, is telling us, this is telling us that God is the one who is, who is building up his people yet in his promises. A lot of the language here, you know, which has that swallowing, the eating picture to it, it really reminds me a lot of what happens in Isaiah 25, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, where where death is there, and that's the covering that cast is cast over all people, and it says that the Lord's going to swallow up death forever. And you know, death is often pictured as something that will swallow up people, like a, a grave swallows up people. And, and here to see Babylon, particularly the king of Babylon in this case, described in similar language, I think it invites those comparisons that, as you said, come up in the book of Revelation, where Babylon is used as the title for all that is evil and opposed to, to Christ and his word. And, and again, to see here how the Lord is going to to take care of those enemies, you know, Babylon in the Old Testament in a very literal sense, but then as a picture of what he does for us in defeating death and Satan and our sin. I mean, I think you know, that really helps us to to take this text to see how it gets used, as we'll see more in the book of Revelation, and and to use it for ourselves. And I, I do think it helps us to see in a in a more in a, in a way that we can hold on to the way that the prayer comes in verse thirty five, where there's this prayer for vengeance against Babylon. And I think that's a prayer sometimes that we'll we struggle with as Christians today. How do how is how can we say such a thing? But when we understand these enemies as as a picture of sin, Satan, death, then I think that that prayer for God to you know win the victory over them that makes a lot more sense and becomes a lot more applicable and, and usable for us still today. It finally is, isn't it, that God's people can only cry out for vengeance that that God would work and. 
vengeance that we deserve. That's what we confess Sunday after Sunday, that we have sinned in thoughts, desires, and words and deeds, that, that we deserve this. But crying out and, and appealing to blood being shed, and at, at the risk of finding the gospel everywhere we turn, which is not a bad thing to do. <laughs> I've, I'm reminded of my, uh, my homiletics professor, my preaching professor, back a few years ago at the seminary, Rev. Rosso, telling us to look for gospel handles. My blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, their guilt for what they have done, and yet his blood, Christ's blood, is on us, that holy, innocent blood shed on the cross. What, what a great gift. For God does do vengeance against sin and evil when he gives his very son to go to the cross to suffer and die for us. So verse 36, I will plead your cause and take vengeance for you. And now we get, we get some metaphors that maybe seem odd to us. Our picture, literal picture as we've seen it, and we have people in our congregation who have been who have been deployed to the Middle East and to this part of the world to Iraq over the over the years we see only the brownness and the dryness of a desert but yet there will be a number of a number of places where we will hear about the drying up her seas Babylon is landlocked, but the sea is the Euphrates River, river and a, a system of canals and lakes and marshes. In, in one, one writer I, I saw said that the city swims in the sea. It was so verdant, so surrounded by water, and yet it will be dried up. Babylon will become a heap of ruins, a place that only the jackals will haunt, a horror and a hissing and an embarrassment to the nations. It will be destroyed and forgotten. We'll see that again in verses 55 and 57, a little bit later in this section. So, so what, what do they do? What, how does Babylon respond? Verse 38 tells us, they shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lions, cubs, as they, as they growl over their prey, over their anticipated feast. And yet, God will turn the tables on them. While they are inflamed, I will prepare them a feast. I will make them drunk. But what they will drink is the poison of God's judgment. They will get the feast they deserve, the desserts they deserve, which will be a perpetual sleep of no, of no resurrection. They will, they will not survive what God is doing to them. He will take his vengeance. He will make dry this city, this, this prominent, powerful city. There's, there's actually something else that's going on here, if I may. I'm going to go back up to verse 36. He will plead your cause. He's using there, Jeremiah is using a, a Hebrew word that has legal connotations. So it can say, I am, your, I am your advocate. I will take vengeance for you. And then when he talks about drying things up, the Hebrew word is karav. He's drying them up just as he dried up. It's the same word that we would have heard in the earlier scriptures when he dried up the Red Sea, when he parted the Red Sea to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt on their way to the promised land, how he, how he dammed up the Jordan River and it was dry. He dried it up 
so that the people could walk through, walk through across the Jordan and take possession of their land. So will God show his power and make the sea of the Euphrates, the sea that Babylon swims in, he will dry it up completely. And that reference to, for example, the Red Sea, I mean, that's a reminder that what the Lord is doing in bringing his people back from exile is a new and a greater exodus. Jeremiah has preached about that on several occasions within his prophecy, that what the Lord is going to do in bringing his people back from the exile, that's what the people are going to be talking about, not talking about how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt, but how he delivered them from exile in Babylon. And, and I think that's, I mean, that's a good thing to notice as we go forward, because this is going to become a matter, not just for, it's not just about the vengeance that the Lord works against Babylon, but it becomes a matter of praise for God, that the people in the rescue that God provides are able to praise him because of what he He does. That legal term that you brought up is is striking because earlier in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord is not pleading the cause for the people of Judah, but he's pleading the case. That legal term is there again, and I think it's in chapter 2. He's pleading the case against them. And so, I mean, notice how the the Lord has turned from his, what we call his alien work, his work of law of condemning their sins, bringing to repentance, now to his proper work of gospel. And that, that word for advocate, you know, that you brought up is so rich and, and certainly connects us to Jesus. I mean, there's there's so many pictures here that we've seen in the book of Jeremiah and certainly ones that that connect I think to our to our Lord Jesus Christ you know I mean and and maybe in a surprising way we've got the the picture of being drunk that cup of the lord that's come up more than once in the book of Jeremiah we've got this picture of of lambs being led to the slaughter all of this is is being spoken against Babylon and yet we know that these are also images that our Lord uses to describe the work of, of Jesus in what he does for our salvation, that he takes all of this judgment ultimately upon himself. And to see how it's all described, you know, being done to Babylon, and then we recognize this is what Jesus took on for us. I mean, that the picture that we see of God's grace in there is, is simply astounding. And it seems overwhelming. The people who first heard these words— the, first, the, the people who were listening back in Jerusalem or as they get delivered, get delivered finally to Babylon itself, they first heard these words, it, it looks impossible. It's not, not simply improbable, but impossible. This is, this is the greatest power in the world at the time. And yet, look what God is going to do for it. He's going to turn things, he's going to turn things upside down, so much so in verse 41 that Babylon has become a horror among the nations. How embarrassed they are, how embarrassing this is. I mean, that even astonishment, embarrassment, that those, those don't even seem to do it justice, that, that the tables have been turned and God has done his, his work his work of vindicating his people, of giving them ultimate redemption, not freeing them from political power, but, but bringing them home, bringing them back to the promised land, and, and then from that land, bringing, out, bringing to fruition all the promises that he has made, promises that will lead ultimately to the Messiah, who leads us from the slavery of sin to the, to the freedom of our possession of being his people, his church, his called, his called out ones. In in those next verses, forty one through forty four, a couple of things to to ask your comment on. One is the 
the punishing of Bel in Babylon. Remind us of of that. And then again, we see this this picture of you know taking out of his mouth what he has swallowed that rescue. So take us into those verses a little deeper. Well, there's a little more here too about first first back in, in 43, uh, the drought and the desert, this uninhabitable land, not the fertility of the Euphrates and the river basin that they that they live in. So and and yet God would point to a greater land ultimately the new heavens and the and the new earth but then he will punish Baal so we perhaps are many of our of those who are listening are the Baal the Baal that Canaanite that Canaanite god now this Baal is the chief deity of the Babylonians it it will be reduced that god will be reduced to nothing he is a small g god he is he has, he has no power. What he has tried to swallow, what he has consumed, it will be torn out. It will be taken out of his mouth. Just like those, those lions and lions' cubs are, are growling over their prey, they're, they're so eager, it will be taken away from him. And perhaps, as we will close tomorrow, as, as you'll be discussing chapter, uh, chapter 52, the spoils of warfare included the treasures of the temple, and those two will be taken back. The temple will be rebuilt. It will be restored. It will become that, that place of, of prayer and of sacrifice that it was meant to be, and the place that will lead, for the, lead to the one who is ultimately our, our final temple, because he is our, our, ultimate, our ultimate sacrifice. So, it ends, verse 44 ends by saying that the wall of Babylon has fallen. We know from reading biblical history, we know the walls of Jericho fell. And, and yes, we know that those who have come into Israel to take over the land, the walls have been, have been destroyed of Jerusalem. They will need to be rebuilt. Nehemiah, Ezra, those great stories. And yet there is a looking ahead always always to other events that are going to happen. Jesus says no, no stone will stand upon itself. The, the temple walls and the, and the temple structure will be torn down. Once more, the futility of trusting in ourselves and in our ways of thinking that, that God is, is doing his work or is pleased with us. Yes, he set up the temple. Yes, he set up the system of sacrifices, but it was ultimately to point us to the once for all sacrifice who is who is Jesus himself. So in verse 45 he says, "Flee this, get out of there." Now, can they leave on their own? Can they go from exile? No, they can't, but he's telling them, "This is a life or death matter." Uh, some of us recall maybe it seems as though I read this in a humanities class back at Concordia Junior College in Ann Arbor, Michigan, a 1741 sermon by Jonathan Edwards, the sinner of an angry God. And there was not a lot of proper distinction between law and gospel in that sermon. Okay, let's just let's just say that. That was that was before Walter. That was before Walter. So that that wasn't happening. But 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 to call his people and, and know that God's righteous anger has every right to be demonstrated. And, and don't trust the reports you hear. Don't trust that it's either this year or that year. Don't trust it, but, but don't ignore it. Don't ignore because the days are coming. This prophetic promise 
is is throughout the, the book of Jeremiah uh, more more times than than we can count, but we can try. The days are coming. God speaks His certain word. He will act. God has not forgotten His people. God is the the, the great the great seeing God, and the days are coming when when He will act. He will act against Babylon. He will act for His people. So so that. In verse 48, the heavens and the earth shall sing for joy over Babylon. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. God's redeemed people will sing for joy over Babylon, meaning over the destruction, the, the, the weakness now of what seemed to be the strongest power against them in all the world. But it will be reduced to once more ruins and desolation and a heap of ruins, a, a land uninhabitable, uninhabitable by anyone. Here is, here is promises. Jeremiah is, is continuing to be the one who speaks out the word of the Lord. He is leading them to hope and promise and, and comfort. It, it's hidden in these words, perhaps, but it's there. Yeah, there there is a lot of hope and comfort and joy here in this text as the Lord defeats the enemies of his people. And we're going to keep looking at that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron this morning. We're talking Jeremiah chapter 51 with Pastor Mark Bars. We're going to take that short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Trinity Lutheran Church in Jefferson City at 8 a.m. and Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Chesterfield at 10.30, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. An old man blind to his own bitterness. I will never forgive her. A young girl blind to her own identity. There are people who want to hurt me. Together, they find a treasure, the hidden hand. I will take the girl. Get rid of Capitola once and for all. Starring Katie Lee as Capitola. (laughs) Discover the hidden hand on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is August 11th. We are studying Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 34 to 64 with Pastor Mark Bars. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we, we made it through verse 49. We've, we've talked through several points there. Before we leave these verses behind, I want to stay there in, in 45 through 49 for a little bit and pick, a, pick your brain on a few more things, because as we... As we read these verses, we get familiar language from this oracle about getting out of Babylon and then the joy that belongs to the people of God at the destruction of Babylon and then that, that fleeing from Babylon. These are some themes that are picked up in Revelation as well, and we've, we've made reference to that already. I'd like to hear more about how this gets picked up in Revelation and how we as the church today, you know, what does it mean for us to flee from Babylon and to rejoice over the destruction of Babylon? So Revelation chapter 18 is the primary place that we're speaking of here, where Babylon 
is representative of, of all of the world, the world of evil, a world enslaved into evil. Revelation 18 verse 4 says, Then I heard another voice from heaven, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. God calls out the, the word ecclesia, the Greek word for churches, is the called out ones. He calls out his people away from them. He is the one who redeems them, who makes them holy, who sets them, who sets them apart. Uh, verse 48, when, it's, when there is a singing for joy, Revelation 18, verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints. Rejoice at the fallen, that she has fallen, that the enemy has been overthrown. It does take us back to the song of the sea, when, when God's people have been brought through the sea. And in, and in Exodus chapter, chapter 15, they sing this great song of triumph. And it anticipates the great song to the Lamb who was slain, who has begun his reign, Revelation 5. Uh, the Easter hymn, the Easter cry of the church, because... The enemies, not Babylon, not the political power, but sin. As Pastor Barge was saying there, we'll try to get him back on the phone in just a moment. The enemies of the church, sin, death, and the devil, this gets picked up as the church's song for Easter. And if you've gone to church on Easter, you know some of those Easter hymns that we sing really pick up on this language of the Lord being the one who wins the victory for his people. And one that, that stands out to me in particular, and I think in Lutheran service book, it's listed in the communion hymn section, but it's at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. And within that hymn, that's number 633 in Lutheran service book, at the Lamb's High Feast we sing. It goes like this. I'm going to turn to it because there's several allusions to this reference that Pastor Barge was telling us about from the Exodus and then carrying us into the return from exile. One of the ones that stands out, let's see, we've got in stanza three, where the paschal blood is poured, death's dread angel she's the sword. Israel's hosts triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. Alleluia. And I think, you know, hearing that Exodus language, Israel's hosts go triumphantly through the wave that drowns the foe. There's both things, that the destruction of God's enemies becomes the rescue for God's people. And what do God's people do? They praise him with that shout of Alleluia. Pastor Bars, I believe we have you back on the line. I was filling in some of that Easter language. I went to At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing for one of those references. I don't know if you had other things in mind. Well, the, we sing to the Lamb who was slain who has begun his reign, don't we? That's how that how this is the feast, how this is the feast ends. The, the people of God are forever singing an Easter song. We're longing to join with that great choir, with that great choir in the heavens, because because we remember that we are those in exile. We are those who are away from home. And and what we remember, just as Jeremiah was calling the people is to remember that God has remembered, that he has not forgotten his people. Psalm 124 says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, well, what else could have, nothing could have happened. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 124, verse 6, because there is this promised return, a return home, a return from exile, a return that will be a return filled with singing singing in the new heavens and the new earth in the, in the final resurrection 
And so, and so the church is with Jeremiah, the people of God, and praying, come Lord Jesus, that Christ our Lord will return in glory and gather us to himself. Yeah, the, the joy that we will have then, that we are already celebrating now, singing along with the people of God through the ages who have experienced the rescue that God has given from their enemies. We left off with verse 49, so that we'll pick up again here with verse 50 to consider the rest of our text this morning. Jeremiah 51, beginning at verse 50. You who have escaped from the sword, go, do not stand still. Remember the Lord from far away, and let Jerusalem come into your mind. We are put to shame, for we have heard reproach. Dishonor has covered our face, for foreigners have come into the holy places of the Lord's house. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will execute judgment upon her images, and through all her land the wounded shall groan. Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify her strong height, yet destroyers would come from me against her, declares the Lord. A voice, a cry from Babylon, the noise of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. For the Lord is laying Babylon waste and stilling her mighty voice. Their waves roar like many waters. The noise of their voice is raised. For a destroyer has come upon her, upon Babylon. Her warriors are taken. Their bows are broken in pieces. For the Lord is a God of recompense. He will surely repay. I will make drunk her officials and her wise men, her governors, her commanders, and her warriors. They shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad wall of Babylon shall be leveled to the ground, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The peoples labor for nothing, and the nations weary themselves only for fire. The word that Jeremiah the prophet commanded, Sariah, the son of Neriah, son of Masiah, when he went with Zedekiah, king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. Sariah was the quartermaster. Jeremiah wrote in a book all the disaster that should come upon Babylon, all these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words, and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut off, so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate forever. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and say, Thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. As the rest of our text for today, that was Jeremiah 51, verses 50 through 64. So Pastor Barr is picking up there again in verse 50. You who have escaped from the sword, go do not stand still. Remember the Lord from far away. Let Jerusalem come to your mind. Again, we're, we're getting that thought from the Lord, you know, get out of Babylon and do so because you remember the Lord, you remember Jerusalem, even from far away. Take us into those first couple of verses there that, that we picked up with verse 50. They have been far away. Some are in the east in Babylon. Some are to the south and to the west in Egypt. They are away from the home, the land that God had given to them, had promised to them. And, and for some of them, over many years, they are going to be called back to, to remember the home that they never knew, that they, that they have never lived in. And even so, we long for the home that is ours, the promised home, the place where our Lord has gone to prepare for us. Verse 51 says that dishonor has covered 
has covered our face. In Psalm 69, this language is applied apply to the promised Messiah, who for your sake has borne reproach that this honor has covered my face. And certainly the language of Isaiah 53 comes to, comes to my mind, that, that Christ will suffer dishonor, reproach for us. And, and yet he takes our place as, as Israel, the dishonored one. He will reenact their history, their, their slavery, their exile, and he will, he will become the way into the promised land, the way and the truth and the life, the, the door to the sheepfold, the one who gathers, who gathers his people together. That's his promise. He does so because the holy places, at the end of verse 51, the holy places of the Lord's house have, have been taken by foreigners. They have come into the temple. They have, they, have desecrated, they have desecrated the temple. And he will, again, he will be the true Israel. He will make holy the temple once more by that curtain being torn on Good Friday and opening into the Holy of Holies. The book of Hebrews tells us so much about what Christ has done by being that, that high priest, that great, that great sacrifice. The days are coming. Verse 52, the days are coming. This is a promise, and it's a promise that will be kept. There will be judgment, and, and all of the land, all of the people will, will groan. Verse 53, Babylon takes us back to Genesis Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. It is really the same word, isn't it? It's the same people. It's the same people who, who tried to mount up into heaven, who tried to rely on their own strength. And in that, in that tower, we're ready, to, we're ready to show that they were, they were up into God himself. But, but it's a taunt against Babylon now. It becomes, it, it's, an echo, it's an echo of Isaiah chapter 14 that, that Babylon has fallen from heaven. You thought you, could, you thought you could somehow come to me, but you could not. Those first couple of verses in verses 50 and 51, as you were talking about them, I think those are very important for us still today. You know, I mean, you, you who have escaped from the sword, so you're there in exile, but go, don't stand still because you remember who the Lord is and you let Jerusalem come to your mind. It, it's as if the, the Lord is telling his people, look, don't, don't forget who the enemy is. Don't forget who your God is. Don't forget where, where he has promised to dwell in, in Jerusalem. I, I was reminded in those verses a little bit of, of Psalm 137 of the people of Israel, you know, weeping for Jerusalem by the rivers of Babylon there, that, that the Lord calls them to that remembrance of, of who he is, so that in the midst of their time in exile, they don't become complacent. They don't become conformed to the ways of Babylon, but instead remain true to the Lord and to his word. And the connection that you made to Psalm 69 and, and what that tells us about Christ and also Isaiah 53 as well in that regard, I think is, is very helpful for us as Christians, you know, living as Peter tells us, we are elect exiles in this world. That that when we you know bear reproach, you know, Peter talks about in his that in his epistles as well. When we bear reproach, we do so for the sake of Christ, the one who bore the reproach for us. And so, I mean, I think I think these verses are are very helpful for us as Christians still today, as we think about you know what does it mean for us to to live in the midst of a world that that does not love Christ and His Word. 
how, how do we do that? Well, we continue even from afar, as you said, in, in a homeland that, that we've never yet seen in that eternal life. Yet we continue to remember the Lord. We, we remember his word and, and we bear the reproach along with Christ, the one who, who bore it for us. I, I think these verses are, are ones that we can hold on to today uh, for our lives as Christians. They absolutely, they absolutely are. We, we are still called to be people of hope. We still need the word of comfort. There, there are so many things, and this has been true throughout the age of the church, hasn't it, for, for 2,000 years uh, uh, since Christ. But, but this is the people of God, the, the hopeful, the messianic people of God, longing for, for the one who has promised to act that it seems as though the forces around us, the, the evil, the, the, the language that Christians around the world face so much more, so much stronger and harsher than we, than we face here in this country. And, and yet to be faithful and know that, that God, is, God is going to do his work. This, this language of, of mounting up to heaven, attempting to do so, may I suggest language that, that is is also reflected in two great women in the Bible, two mothers, Hannah in 1 Samuel and Mary in Luke 1 and Luke 2, both of whom used language that, that spoke of ex- bringing down the proud and, and exalting the lowly. This is, this is what God does. He does it for them. He did it for them. He does it for his people. He does it for his church as a whole. And, and he does so because Christ is himself lifted up. He is, he is lifted high. The humble one who humbled himself and became a servant. He is lifted high on the cross. There is a mountain not nearly as grand as, as some would want it to be, but it is the great mountain. It finally gives us access to the, to the final Mount Zion, the place where God dwells with his people. But Mary and Hannah both in their own ways have that have that cry their, their voices become our voices they they speak for us that god brings down the proud and exalts the lowly how good that is to cling to even even in this world that that is filled with with hurt and with and with and with death i was at another funeral yesterday a funeral last week again uh, there there are important to to be there to to confess the faith to Hear the promise of the resurrection that is that is ours in Christ. Mm. Uh, certainly, the what happens to Babylon is a great example of what Hannah and Mary both sing, and and then for us to know that as those lowly ones, that God does exalt exalt us in Christ, always in Christ. In visit, in verse fifty four into verse fifty eight, then we we kind of reach the conclusion of the oracle. There's a little bit of, of a prose narrative section that follows that we'll talk about, but we we come to the conclusion of what the Lord says to Babylon in these last couple of verses. What's what's there for us to pick up in verses fifty four to fifty eight, Pastor Bars? Yes, one, once more, the, the language of, of destruction of a destroyer that that God will be the one who has been cried out to to bring his vengeance, and he does, and he promises to, to lay this great city to waste and uh, to quiet this mighty voice, verse 55. She has no voice. She is, she is uninhabited. And, and the roaring of the waters, I, I, don't, I don't know to what degree. I, I, love, I love a rushing mountain stream. I, I love the sound of water going over, going over rocks, and, and waves roar like many waters, 
but but it's nothing. It comes to nothing because God will destroy those who who would act against His people. Her warriors, her heroes, are taken down. Her, their the bows are useless. They're destroyed. They, though they seem to be such such a great such a great threat. And then once more, the language of of drunkenness that they think that they are having a party or having a celebration, but they're but they're drinking poison. Her officials, her wise men, her governors, her her lieutenant governors, her warriors, her heroes, and they will sleep a perpetual sleep. They will they will have the death from which there is no waking, declares the king whose name is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the true king, the king of kings, and he is eternal he is an eternal king who gives who gives a perpetual wakeness, not no perpetual sleep, but gives life that is that is unending. That is his promise. That is his gift. That is that is the the ultimate reason that Jeremiah even speaks this promise to the people who are exiled and who are assaulted by Babylon. He wants them to see the hope that will that is theirs in the promised Messiah. Pastor Barnes, as the uh, that concludes the oracle again, and, and maybe toward the end we'll we'll come back and reflect on what Jeremiah says as a whole. But I do want to spend at least a couple minutes on this almost an epilogue of sorts, where we find out that Jeremiah actually provided for this word to be taken to Babylon and to be read there, and then to have an actual another one of these action prophecies as well. So, uh, what 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 do you see there in, in verses fifty nine to sixty four? And the way Jeremiah has for this word to be proclaimed in Babylon, what what should we take from that? Well, I'd like to go back to chapter thirty-six. Remind our listeners about that when when there is uh, the writing out uh, with his scribe Baruch, and Baruch is told to read in the hearing of all the people the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. Interesting that that he's not only the scribe; he's he's the spokesman. He's the spokesman, and there are and there are two different responses. Some of those turn to one another in fear. Verse uh, chapter thirty-six, verse sixteen. But when he reads it to the court of King Jehoiakim, verses twenty-three and twenty-four, what does he do? He cuts up the scroll and and throws it throws it in the fire, and the king and his servants were not afraid. God is speaking through Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, deliver this message, Sariah, take it all the way to Babylon and read it there. Here they must hear, they must know that that there is that there is a greater God than their Baal God, and then the God they think they are, the power, the force that they think they are. So take this book, this scroll there. And read it. And after you read all these words, speak this prayer. And speak this prayer of judgment, which is what verse 62 is. But then take this book, this scroll, tie a stone to it, and throw it in the river. Throw it in the Euphrates River. It is, it is an action of finality. It is an action that shows that God's word cannot be ignored. 
it, it is not a discarding of it. It is saying this will this will be my marker to you of what of what I am to do in my way of judgment and of justice for my people. As I was reading this, and this is one of those sections that that honestly, I guess it had just been a while since I had read it, and so I I was like, okay, this I I've, I've forgotten this. As I was as reading what happens here, I I was my mind was drawn to the the account of Jonah and this almost being an opposite of Jonah. So here's here's why. You could tell me what you think. You have the Lord providing for his word to be proclaimed in a great foreign city. And and in the case of Jonah, you know, Jonah of course doesn't want to go. He ends up in the belly of a fish sinking down. He gets raised up and and the people then hear his proclamation there in Nineveh. They repent and believe. In this case, it's it's almost the the anti Jonah, and I, maybe I'm stretching things a little bit, but this is where my mind went. That in this case, you have the word of the Lord being proclaimed again in a great foreign city, this time in Babylon. They hear it, they don't believe, and so the the picture here is that the word of the Lord. Then I mean that they are going to sink like this, like the scroll that has the the stone tied to it, and and then is cast into the Euphrates River as that sign of of judgment. So whereas in in Jonah, you have you know the the sign of the resurrection. There, here you have the the sign of judgment and death. Uh, the other picture that came to mind with that stone being tied around it was the picture of the the millstone being tied around a person's neck and being dropped into the the heart of the sea. That great judgment of which Jesus speaks. I mean, the the picture that's given here, the proclamation of God's word there in Babylon. The Lord leaves no doubt for Babylon what He said and what He's going to do in His great judgment. And I mean, I think so. It, it certainly adds to that, you know, that that picture of judgment. And again, that's that's where my mind went. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, it's been judgment after judgment, hasn't it? It began back in in chapter forty six, and I know those of you who are faithful listeners to Sharper Iron, you you've worked through you've worked through all of this judgments that that Jeremiah speaks against Egypt, against Philistia, against Moab against Ammon, against Edom, against Damascus, uh, Aram, against Kedar, and Hazor, and, and against Elam. And I, and I just find that intriguing that he speaks to Elam, which is east of Babylon. It is so far away that they think that God's judgment can be escaped. So what, what couriers, what, what way of mass communication was there back then that even when Shariah is given this, uh, this scroll to carry to Babylon, and he reads it, and then he wraps it up, he ties it up, and puts a stone on it, and tosses it into the Euphrates, and, and the people, what, were they, were they laughing? Were they, were they stunned into silence? What, what was their response? It wasn't, as you said, uh, the response of what happens when Jonah finally gets to Nineveh and, and walks around the city and says, repent, repent, and they do. Uh, we, we don't have that. We don't have that ending to this story. God's judgment cannot be escaped. And you know, where is Babylon? Well, it's all around us. It's, it's that God is still speaking. His, his voice is still being carried by his church and and by his people, those those who we love because he first loved us, we 
we speak because he first has spoken to us. He has spoken to us to give us life. And and our prayer, this is there is there is mission emphasis in here, isn't isn't there? An encouragement that that we are those who yet carry carry and deliver and speak with with care and yet with boldness that that there is salvation there and that no one is too far away. Those in Elam, two hundred miles east of Babylon, they are not too far away. Babylon, hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, is not too far away. God God will act in judgment, but but God desires to act in mercy and grace. That is his that is his nature and that is his that is his heart. And his church is given that privilege and that responsibility. Yeah, I mean, you see Jeremiah here fulfilling what the Lord gave him back in chapter 1, to be a prophet to the nations. Here he is a prophet to the nations. This word gets sent to Babylon. It's for Babylon so that they would hear of the Lord's judgment. The, the desire for the Lord is always the repentance. Again, we don't see that here, but that is the desire of the Lord in sending Jeremiah and giving this word and still proclaiming that word through his church today. Pastor Bars, we have about two and a half minutes left on the morning. As you reflect on this part of Jeremiah 51 and the things we've talked about this morning, uh, help us to, to wrap things up and, and point us again to Christ our Savior in the midst of this text. There is a wonderful image from the Reformation. I, I know some of our listeners have seen this. It, it's, it's seen in various times. It's four letters. In English, they're the V-D-M-A, and it stands for a Latin phrase, verbum de manat in eternum, which, which is a paraphrasing of Isaiah chapter 40. The word of the Lord stands forever. This became a sign of the Reformation. It was actually worn in the court, in the court at times by, by those in the Reformation. The word of the Lord stands forever. Forever, this coming Sunday, for those of us who are hearing in the three-year series, although this coming Sunday, I'll also hint, is also the day of Saint Mary, Mother of our Lord. But John six will continue with these words: "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life." Some of us sing those in the in the divine service at times. Hallelujah, Lord, to whom shall we go? How does the word of the Lord come to us? It is the written and revealed word. It is the word that Paul writes of when he writes to Timothy in Second Peter, or in Second Timothy chapter three, when he writes of that that spirit breathes word. But it is ultimately the word made flesh, the word made flesh, the one conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The word is made flesh and dwells among us. This book of judgment is final and inescapable, and it's for Babylon and all the nations that would attack God's people. But there is another book, and in it are written all the names of those redeemed by Christ. Jesus says, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven, and that book is the book of life. My joy to share that with all of you this day. Pastor Mark Bars is pastor at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 34 to 64. Pastor Bars, thanks for being our guest today. You're very welcome. My privilege. Babylon is fallen. The Lord has won the victory over his enemies, over the enemies of his people. He has won the victory for you over sin, death, and the devil. That is your joy. That is your praise. Thanks be to God. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. 
We are finishing the series on Jeremiah tomorrow, and then we're starting a series on Lamentations next. If you have any questions about the book of Lamentations ahead of time, send them to KFUO at KFUO.org or use the app. The open mic feature allows you to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.